listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authority are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Thanks for that reading, Bobby. I want to give a special thanks as well to Alicia Young, who covered the pulpit last week, allowing me to take a week off. She did a great job preaching. You guys can clap for that. Alicia did awesome last week. Um, If you weren't here or if you missed that sermon somehow, go on our website, listen to it, check it out, because she did a really good job. I got to say, though, Alicia got to preach on love. I come back and it's be subject to the governing authorities. How exactly did that work out? Uh, we have an election in what, three weeks, is it? This, this is going to be great. <laughs> let's, let's just, for fun, let's reread uh, the first few verses of this passage, just so it's, it's nice and fresh. Bobby, you did a really good job. Like, your tone, perfect. But let's, let's start in verse one here. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Oh boy. Whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, for those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval, for it is God's servant for your good." Nothing in there that could, like, you know, stir up controversy or press any buttons. Um, We still have sermon talk back today, right, Jim? That's today. That's going to be great. Just curious, and there's no right or wrong answer here. I just, like, straw poll by show of hands. How many of you are, like, familiar with this passage? You've, You've heard it before, or maybe someone's quoted it to you, you read it in a devotional. Okay, that's 
It's a little more than half of us, hands down. Um, and on the other hand, how many of you, this is brand new, you've never heard this before, a couple of you, you're th- sitting there thinking like, oh no, what is Dan going to do with this one? That's a few of us, all right. Uh, hands down, good. Fun to see where everyone falls. There's definitely more people in that first category. I'm in that first category. Um, I have definitely heard this passage quoted actually quite a lot, usually by Christians and almost always in the context of political debates. To give you a little bit of my own experience with Romans 13, uh, from 2011 to 2018, I lived in Los Angeles, California, the liberal mecca, basically, LA is. And if you know me, if you've gotten to know me at all, you know that I can be just a, a little critical of our elected leaders at times. I can, I, I can give some critique. And for most of those years when I lived out in California, we had a, a Democrat president, Barack Obama. And I could be critical of him at times. Like when he deported three million otherwise law-abiding undocumented immigrants. Not a fan. Um, or his use of drone warfare in the Middle East. Definitely not my favorite. And I remember I had a lot of like progressive Christian Democrat friends out in L.A., who would throw Romans 13 at me. They'd be like, well, sure, Dan, some of that stuff is bad, but like no president is perfect, right? And Romans 13, the president was instituted by God. Of course, those arguments like just went right out the window around the end of 2016 for some unknown reason, right? And now for the last couple years, it's been my Republican friends who throw Romans 13 at me because I'm not a huge fan of the current occupant of the Oval Office. That's putting it mildly. And so now it's my more right-wing GOP friends who will be like, but Dan, what about Romans 13? Be subject to the governing authorities. The president was instituted by God. Of course, if you ask any of those folks what they think of, like, Governor Cuomo or Nancy Pelosi, all that talk about our leaders being divinely appointed just disappears. It's funny how that works. And I use these examples not to endorse any political candidate I don't or to tell you how to vote your adults, that's up to you. But I use these examples to illustrate how Romans 13 is used by, I'm going to say, most Christians. This passage has become a trump card. Not, (laughs) we need another word, I'm sorry. This passage has become a way to shut down political opposition whenever someone we like is in power. That's how most Christians use this passage. If you happen to like the president or the governor or whoever, but you encounter another Christian who's critical of them, you just cite Romans 13 and the conversation is over. That's about the level of depth most of us are working with on Romans 13. Um, I've come up with a label for this approach. I call it selective authoritarianism. You can use that if you want. It's not copyrighted. But selective authoritarianism, because we selectively apply this passage to affirm the politicians, the leaders that we happen to like, that we happen to agree with. 
That's how Romans 13 is used by most Christians, and I think that's a problem. There's a number of things that make selective authoritarianism a questionable way to read the Bible, but it really falls flat for me because it fails some pretty basic tests of good biblical interpretation. There are a lot of good ways to approach Scripture. Like, there's very rarely one right way. We have a lot of options. Depending on the context, the questions you're wrestling with, there can be a lot of different ways to read and apply the Bible. This is why, like, two well-meaning Christians can read the same Bible passage and come away with totally different interpretations of what it means. Because reading this stuff is hard, right? And there's not just one right way to do it. But there are bad ways to do it. There are problematic, destructive, and just plain bad ways to read the Bible, and I would argue that selective authoritarianism falls in that camp. One of the most basic tests of how we read the Bible is consistency. Is your application of a a given passage consistent? Are you able to read the text in that way in all times, across all areas of your life, or do you just use it that way when it suits you? That's the consistency test. And selective authoritarianism, by definition, is inconsistent, right? Selective. We don't read it, we don't apply that approach consistently. If you read Romans 13 one way when a Democrat is in office and another way when it's a Republican, that is an inconsistent reading of Scripture. Red flag number one. A second pretty basic test of good Bible reading is what I call the history test. Look at past examples from other points in history of people who've read the Bible the way you're reading it and see how that worked out. The good news here is, when it comes to selective authoritarianism, we have a lot of examples from history. When the American Revolution was heating up in the 1770s, there were a lot of folks in the colonies who used selective authoritarianism to defend King George of England. We can't start a revolution. We can't stop paying our taxes. The Boston Tea Party, that's a bunch of terrorists. People like Washington, Hamilton, Jefferson, these men are dangerous and unbiblical. Because Romans 13, be subject to the governing authorities. You might not like King George, but he is God's appointed. Or if we want to get super dark, We could look at Germany in the 1930s, when the Third Reich was on the rise. Selective authoritarianism was super popular back then. It's what allowed German Christians, many of whom early on didn't like Hitler and the Third Reich, to turn a blind eye to the evil stuff happening in their own backyard. I don't agree with Hitler on everything. I'm no Nazi. It's just terrible what they're doing to those poor Jews. But the Bible tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. 
If you do what is good and don't cause trouble, you have nothing to worry about because of Romans 13. I would like to submit to you that that is not a good way to read the Bible. Can we get an amen on that? Anybody? Amen. Yes. Selective authoritarianism is probably one of the most dangerous and destructive mishandlings of the Bible that human beings have concocted. Time and time again, this approach to Scripture has allowed good, well-meaning Christians to affirm absolutely indefensible stuff. So if this isn't a good way to read the passage, how do we approach it? What do we do? If you've been around this church for any length of time, you know that when we come to the Bible, one of the first things we do is we try to put the passage in context. You got it. Very good. Context. Excellent. Fill in the blank. We put it in context. We try to figure out as best we can what the passage meant originally, and then from there we try to infer how it applies to our lives. We do that every Sunday. It's my one trick, by the way just like cards on the table. This is it. This is like the only way I know how to preach and read the Bible well. I do this every week. So let's talk about context, and I want to start with a contextual observation that's really important. Paul has to tell these Christians in Rome to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, like, that might seem obvious, right? But, but time out for a second. It needed to be said. Paul has to tell these Christians in Rome that they should submit to the governing authorities. I think it's fair to assume from that, like Paul's not just throwing things out willy-nilly. This was an issue for at least some Christians. The question of whether or not we recognize the authority of the government. See, back then, there was a revolutionary spirit in the air, not unlike America in the 1770s, especially among Jews and Christians. About a decade after Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, war broke out in Jerusalem between the Zealots, which was a revolutionary Jewish political party, and the Romans. And that war did not go very well. It lasted for a few years, and it ended with the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. When Paul wrote this letter, that revolutionary spirit, 10 years before, it was alive and well. If you know Paul's story, if you know that history, you know that around the year 65 AD, give or take, we're not quite sure, but somewhere around the mid-60s, Paul along with the Apostle Peter and dozens of other Christians, were executed in Rome for sedition. Because while the Romans believed that Caesar is Lord, the Christians declared that Jesus is Lord. For these first Christians, there was a tension between the demands that Caesar placed over their lives and the demands that God placed over their lives. Caesar's kingdom, Caesar's empire, and God's empire. They were inconsistent. So Paul actually has to tell these Christians in Rome to be subject to the governing authorities. Don't start a revolt. 
Don't take up arms and try to overthrow Rome. The governing authorities were instituted by God for your good. Things will not go well for you if you take up arms and try to overthrow the government. So pay your taxes, follow the law, be a good citizen, but don't forget whose kingdom you really belong to. That's the subtext of this passage. By contrast, today, there are not many pastors talking about the need to be subject to the governing authorities here in the United States. Like, that's not much of an issue anymore. (laughs) 2020, outside of Michigan, apparently. But seriously, how many sermons this morning do you think are being preached in the United States saying not to take up arms against the government? Probably not very many. It's not an issue for most Christians today. I've never felt compelled to preach a sermon on how we should pay taxes. It's not even a thing anymore. You don't have hordes of Christians refusing to pay taxes like they had back then. In fact, the pendulum has kind of swung the other way. Christians are remarkably comfortable with the governing authorities. And that's true especially for white Christians in America. We might waver here or there when like our party is out of office, but man, get someone we like in there, we're all about it. We go to rallies, we'll put their signs in our yards, we'll go to prayer breakfasts and lay hands on them. There are even some churches today that are endorsing their preferred political candidates. It's disgusting. And it would have been absolutely unthinkable in the first century. The experience of many Christians in America could not be further removed from the first Christians in Rome. We've lost this tension. It's gone. We no longer feel that pull between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom, not consistently at least. We are very comfortable with the governing system we have built for ourselves. So some takeaways. I think the first one has to be the first lesson we should glean from the context of this passage is that we have to reclaim at least some of that tension. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. Your Lord, your ruler, your ultimate hope is Jesus. Not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, not Joe Jorgensen, if you're one of those people. Sorry, I had to tease the Joe Jorgensen folks. And if we're going to read this text well, if we want to hear it the way those first Christians heard it, we have to recapture a bit of that tension. None of these people are going to save you. Only Christ. That's the first lesson. Second thing we can note from the context of this passage, this is important. When Paul talks about authorities here, he's referring primarily about systems 
not individuals. Back to verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. When Paul uses the word authority here, and he uses the same exact word three times, it's not a word that's typically applied to people. It's a word that's used much more often to refer to uh, elected office, governing structures, systems of government. God has instituted those for the good of society. This is a concept that goes all the way back to the first chapters of the Bible, our creational mandate as human beings from Genesis. When God makes human beings and commissions us to be co-creators with God, God invites us to manage God's creation, to steward it, to take this amazing world God has made and do something beautiful with it. That's how the story of the Bible begins, and that's a good framework for looking at Romans 13. Governing authorities, governing structures, systems of power and governance are a means to do that. When implemented well and run fairly, government should be a means to uphold justice and make society better than it would be otherwise. So like anarchy is not an option for Christians. Apologies if we have any Christian anarchists here. Jeremy, sorry to put you on blast. But any kind of like blanketed rejection of all authority, a free-for-all, every person for themselves, that is not God's intention for the world or for human society. God gave us these structures, these governing authorities to help us manage the world well. So if we want to be good stewards of God's creation, Christians should be engaged with those structures. We should run for public office if that's your calling. Serve on committees, vote, go to protests. Christians should be the most politically engaged segment of society, but we should do it for the good of all, to manifest God's love and mercy. And what we shouldn't do, the list is quite long, but like we probably shouldn't take guns to protests. We shouldn't use the law to try to enforce our own morality, kind of selfishly advance our own interests. We shouldn't spread conspiracy theories that promote violence. And we definitely shouldn't sit back, relax, and kick up our feet, thankful that the system works for us while it is crushing people at the margins. That's not good stewardship of God's creation. Back to these lessons. First, recapture some of that early Christian tension between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom. We got that? Second, when Paul talks about authorities, he is talking primarily about systems and structures, not individual rulers. And then third, we have to hold Romans 13 alongside the Bible's consistent critique of unjust systems of power and authority. 
This is an important one, and it's one that a lot of Christians miss. A few decades after Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, there was another Christian disciple, a guy named John, who wrote this really long, trippy poem. A lot of metaphors, a lot of imagery, super hard to follow. We know it today as the book of Revelation. It's at the end of the Bible. You want to have a fun Saturday night, just crack that open. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Well, or do that. That's fine. Read the Bible. Um, maybe don't start with Revelation. Sorry. <clears throat> but in this like, grand epic poem in Revelation chapter 17, there's this really weird scene where John is talking about a city, but he describes the city as a woman, because again, it's poetry. And he calls her Babylon the prostitute. We're going to set aside the patriarchal stuff there and talk about the text a little bit. But Babylon the prostitute is the mother of all immorality. Whenever she opens her mouth, she shouts blasphemies. She rides this beast with seven heads. Looks like the cover of like a heavy metal album, right? (laughs) I would, maybe I wouldn't listen to Metallica, Babylon, anyway, sorry. She rides this beast with seven heads, and she gets drunk off the blood of Christian martyrs. Babylon the prostitute. And then after this super trippy description of this woman who rides a dragon and drinks blood and is really a city, seriously guys, Revelation, it's worth checking out. After this, John writes that the seven heads on which she sits are really seven hills. The seven heads are seven hills. That means nothing to us, right? But here's why this is important. Rome was the city on seven hills. That was the ancient nickname for Rome. And in Roman mythology, the city of Rome was pictured as this virgin goddess, this innocent goddess who loved everyone named Roma. And John, in the book of Revelation, is just blowing that to pieces. He's undermining that innocent picture of Rome, critiquing it as this evil empire and exposing the virgin goddess Roma as a prostitute who rides dragons and is drunk off the blood of the martyrs. It's like pretty heavy metal, right? <laughs> like that's, that's not messing around. And John's not alone in this. He's part of a rich tradition in the Bible, running really throughout the Old and New Testament, critiquing abusive, corrupt systems of power from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon to Persia. Think about the book of Esther, Exodus, all these stories of God's people running up against oppressive empires and usually prevailing. You could read the entire Bible through that lens. Scripture doesn't mince words when it comes to condemning corrupt systems of power. From the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of of the New declares time and time again that God is coming to bring judgment. And we have to hold Romans 13 alongside Revelation 17. We don't get to pick. We don't get to do like one when we like it and the other when we don't. We have to retain them both. Which leads to one last question. 
how do we do this? How do we navigate the fact that the governing structures of our world have been created by God for our good? How do we hold that alongside the Bible's consistent, clear critique of unjust, corrupt systems of government? How do those fit together? How do we know when to submit and when to subvert? Scripture actually gives us a lot of guidance here. There are questions that come up if you read the Bible. It's kind of hard to read very far into the Bible without catching these questions. Things like, how are the poor doing? The orphan, the widow, the refugee, are they being cared for? The least of these. Are the hungry fed? Are the naked clothed? Are prisoners being treated justly? Are immigrants and refugees being welcomed and offered asylum? Paul actually, right after this passage, lays out some really good checkpoints we can look at. Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. This is right after all this governing authority stuff. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Do our governing systems harbor adulterers and allow them to advance their interests? Do the people ruling over us covet? Do they steal? Does murder go unpunished? Do our politics operate under the guidance of love or of self-interest? When we engage politically, is it to lift up our neighbors or to tear them down? That's how you discern the state of our present political order. That's how you know if you're in a Romans 13 moment or a Revelation 17 moment. It has nothing to do with which party is in power and everything to do with the least of these. How are we treating the orphan, the widow, and the refugee? That's the test. That's the test of whether the governing authorities are fulfilling their divine mandate or if they're headed the way of Babylon. Because there is no authority apart from God. Let's pray. God, there is no authority apart from you. Help us to remember that. Help us to honor that and submit to the governing systems and structures you have established. And Lord, may we also remember that it is to your kingdom we ultimately belong. God, in this election season, don't let us get sucked into the partisan circus, the false gospels of left and right. But God, empower us to be a source of light to all who live in darkness. 
a source of hope to all who are struggling, and a source of subversion to all who misuse power and pervert justice. Guide us, Lord, in the light of your kingdom to follow Jesus as our one and only Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.